Welcome, Dr. Stephanie Myers. Well, thank you very much, Leslie, and it's a real pleasure to be on the Gist of Freedom uh, radio show. Thank you very much for inviting me to be on your podcast. So Queen Charlotte was actually the last queen in the colonies before the American Revolution won the war against England and declared freedom here in the colonies. So, yes, she was technically the last queen of the American colonies. And, of course, Charlotte, North Carolina, was named for Queen Charlotte. Uh, and, interestingly, uh, it was the Mecklenburg County is named for her home, mecklenburg Streelitz. Full name, Queen Sophia Charlotte. And people can read about her in our book, The Invisible Queen. And it's available at our website, MyersPublishing.com. They can go right on the Internet, www.MyersPublishing.com, and they can read about her and learn about all the things we've been talking about today. Okay, so let's begin our discussion talking about Charlotte as a young woman and as a young girl and what she was like. And hopefully some of our young people can get some inspiration from learning about her life. She was born May 19, 1744, in a city called Miro, M-I-R-O-W, Miro, in an area called Mecklenburg-Strelitz in northeast Germany. Now, first I want to mention to you, Leslie, that May 19th is an important date because this is the date that Prince Harry and Meghan Markle got married a few weeks ago. So we'll talk about more talk about that more later. But she got married on May 19th in Mecklenburg-Strelitz. Now that's about 100 miles away from Berlin. And a lot of people have heard of Berlin, Germany. So this is about 150 miles west of the city of Berlin. Charlotte was uh, eighth in a family of ten children, so she had a big family. And her dad's name was Duke Charles Frederick. Her mom was Duchess Elizabeth Albertina. And so she was raised in this little area in Germany, which was really very, um, in many ways, it was kind of rural. They had a lot of animals in the community and a lot of parks. And and so she was raised as a young girl in this community. It wasn't a big city. And so when she was young, her family put an emphasis on educating her. And that's what we want all of our parents to do. We want our parents to take time and teach people, teach their children different information. So Charlotte was tutored in three languages, German, French, and Italian, all when she was a young girl. And then, of course, as she grew up, she learned English when she moved to England. So she learned as a young girl. She loved school. She loved to read. She went to a a school called the Hereford School for Girls, and she really enjoyed being educated. So Charlotte had a lot of talent and a lot of skills as a little girl. She took interest in the nature around her, the plants, the animals, in addition to her reading and learning to be how how to be a musician as well. Well, Charlotte, talking about Charlotte's lineage and and her background uh, and how it was that she came to be educated, because a lot of young girls in the 1700s, they didn't go to school. But let's start with her lineage. Charlotte's mother, her name was Elizabeth Albertina, 
And she was descended from her mother's side from a Moorish branch of the Portuguese. Now, when you hear the word Moor, M-O-O-R, that stands for African. So Charlotte's mother came down a family line where there was a ruler named Alfonso. He was a Portuguese ruler, and he had a, a, a lover, a woman, named Madragana, who was supposed to be a Moor. Now, there's a very well-known researcher, Mario de Valdez e Cocum, and Mr. Valdez e Cocum is a producer with PBS, Public Broadcasting, and he's the one who traced this history back to the Portuguese and found out that Charlotte's mother was descended from these Moors, who would be black people. So that's where Charlotte gets her mixed-race heritage from. She was a mixed-race woman with a blended background, and her father was German, and her mom had the Moorish heritage. So in this time, in this era in Germany, they had a, a blended family. But it didn't matter because her father obviously loved her mother and loved his children, and so she went to school because she was part of a noble family. Her dad was a duke, and he was the leader. He's like being the mayor of a city. In mecklenburg Strelitz. he was an official. So she was in a leadership family, and that's how she was able to go to school and learn. But it was very unusual for a young girl to have a chance to go to school during that era. But she took advantage of it. And we want our young people to realize, when you're going to public school, charter school, home school, private school, whatever school you're in, buckle down and take advantage of the learning opportunity. And that's what Charlotte did. Well, in America, certainly, and particularly people who had one drop of black blood, during the time that Queen Charlotte was a little girl in the 1700s, slavery was very, very big in America and in Europe and around in South America. And so black women definitely could not own property unless they were free, but there were very few free ones, and neither could black men unless they were free. So, yes, it was a real problem for women, and in the case of white women, they could not vote, and in in many cases they could not inherit or own property either. So women, uh, today we have the Me Too movement, but back in the 1700s and the 1800s, there was no Me Too. There was a Me Nothing movement. Uh, Women (laughs) couldn't... Women couldn't vote, women couldn't work, women couldn't do a lot of things. So, But Charlotte's mother, I was fascinated with her mother, Princess Elizabeth Albertina. They call her Duchess or Princess because she was a very smart woman. And when Charlotte's father died, Duke Charles, Charlotte's brother, Duke Adolf, was only 14 years old, and he wasn't ready to, to govern Mecklenburg-Strelitz at that time. So her hmm. mother... Princess Albertina took over as the head of the government while her son grew up. Mm. She was very well respected, and people respected her from England, Prussia, Scandinavia, Scotland, and France, including in England, where they learned about Princess Albertina and how she was really taking care of of the government there in Mecklenburg-Strelitz, and that's one of the things they were impressed with. 
Well, now we have to switch directions and, and ask the question, how did, how did Queen Charlotte become a queen? How did she go from being a princess to a queen? And that's a really important question. She was in Germany. How did she get to England? We're going to switch places for a minute, and we're going to go to England, where a young man named George III was living. And George III was the son of Frederick, the Prince of Wales, and his mother's name was Princess Augusta. Well, George III, his father died, and he was supposed to become the king. And he was a young man, and he had some issues. He enjoyed kind of messing around. He had some girlfriends, and he wanted to be his own man, but his mother wanted him to become king of England. So she had to get George III married because it was very important for a future king of England to have a wife and a family. So the queen, not the queen, but his mother, excuse me, uh, Duchess Albert, Duchess Augusta, they called her the Dowager Augusta. The Dowager Augusta decided to go on a search and find out which young women in Europe could be possible candidates to marry her son. So she asked some of the men in her court to send out messages around Europe and ask, where are the eligible girls? Where are the eligible young women who could marry her son? Well, she sent the message around, and one of the names that was recommended was Princess Charlotte of Mecklenburg-Strelitz. Her name was recommended. Now, there's a great little story here about how Charlotte came to be known. She was known to be a smart young lady, but there was a ruler over there in her area who was who was a king. And this particular king, uh, King Frederick, he started a war, and it was over in her community. And she was not happy at all about the fact that this king was having a war and it was hurting some of the people in her community. So she wrote him a letter, and she was just about 14 years old, and she wrote this very powerful king a letter and told him she wanted him to stop this war. She didn't like it, and she wanted him to stop it. And she wrote this letter to Frederick the Great. And she wrote the letter, and she told him that she knew it was unusual for a young girl to write such a letter. And we have this letter in our book, The Invisible Queen, which your listeners can get a copy of. But the the message here is that this young girl had the courage to write a letter to Frederick the Great, who was a friend of her grandfather's. She knew him. And to express her feelings. And that's what we want our young girls and our young men to do. Take the time to sit down and express yourself. Write a letter to the president. Write a letter to the mayor. Queen Charlotte did it, and it brought her to the attention of George III's mother. And they were impressed that this young lady had the ability and the nerve to write a letter to Frederick the Great. And so that's how they decided to investigate her and eventually offered her the hand of the future king of England, King George III. They invited her to come and marry him, and her family accepted on her behalf. So so there was a lot of turmoil in Europe and in England, and Dowager Augusta, King George III's mother, she knew that she needed a smart woman to be her son's wife 
because he had to face a lot of issues. And George III was kind of a, he was kind of a wild young man. It's rumored that he had a, a Quaker girlfriend on the side that he had children with, and he kind of wanted to do his own thing. So his mm-hmm. mother, the Dowager Augusta, knew that for him to be able to take over the government in a powerful country like Britain, he was going to have to have support. And that's why she wanted a smart girl uh, like Charlotte to come from Germany and marry her son because she had the kind of brains to help him make it work. But keep in mind that Charlotte was a mixed-race woman, and when she got to England and she married King George III, she came out against slavery right away. (laughs) When she saw what was going on, because she didn't see it from Mecklenburg Streelitz. She was out in the country land in Germany with the, with the animals and the lakes and having a good time. But when she got to England and she was able to see slaves in England and she was able to learn about the slave trade, Charlotte became an abolitionist. And she began to develop very close friendships with the abolitionist leaders. And she joined the abolitionist movement. Well, indentured indentured slaves were not enslaved for a lifetime. Chattel slavery, the type of slavery that black people were victimized by, was the slavery that kidnapped a family from Africa and put them into slavery for their entire life. They never got out. Now, there was a form of indentured servitude, and many people from Ireland... Scotland and England came to America. A lot of white people came to America as indentured servants. And they came over here and they worked for seven years. And after they fulfilled their indentured servitude period of seven years, they could then become free. And many of the indentured servants who were white were offered positions to go into the police department and to become overseers on plantations, and they became people who then became like law enforcement over the, in, the chattel slaves that black people were. So there were two forms of slavery. Indentured servitude was a seven-year slavery, but the chattel slavery of black people was a lifetime slavery. And Queen Charlotte, she opposed that chattel slavery. She became part of the abolitionist movement and part of what they call the anti-saccharin movement, which meant she was against sugar plantations because a lot of black people were being brought to America to work on cotton plantations and sugar plantations, and she was opposed to that, and she made that known. Yes, because we're talking about America's liberation during the American Revolutionary War was 1776, and King George III was king during that time. So when George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and and all of the uh, revolutionaries in the colonies, when they demanded freedom from England, they were demanding freedom from King George's uh, royal estate. Now, it's very fascinating because the British actually came over to the colonies and tried to convince black slaves that the British were on the side of the black people. And there's a story about 
Queen Charlotte's picture being copied, a portrait of her done by an artist named Joshua Reynolds, and that this picture was copied and shown to some of the black people who lived in slavery in Virginia and North Carolina and South Carolina. And those people were invited to get on British ships and go up to Canada to be free, and thousands of them did. So Queen Charlotte was actually the last queen in the colonies before the American Revolution won the war against England and declared freedom here in the colonies. So yes, she was technically the last queen of the American colonies. And of course, Charlotte, North Carolina was named for Queen Charlotte. Uh, and interestingly, uh, it was the Mecklenburg County is named for her home, Mecklenburg Strelitz. And mm-hmm. the, the history there in Charlottesville, Virginia, and Charlotte, mm-hmm. North Carolina, and there are places all over the world named for Charlotte. Charlotte County, Florida, Charlotte, Illinois, Charlotte, Michigan. These are all cities named after the queen, and they named these cities while she was still queen. Like in Mm. Charlotte, North Carolina, they named the city in 1768. This is 10 years before the American Revolution because the people that were there, the Scots-Irish and the British who had settled in Charlotte, they were trying to, um, you know, make the king happy. They were trying to get along with him at the time before the revolution started. So one way mm-hmm. that you get away, get along with a powerful leader is you name your city for his wife, hoping that gives you some favor. Mm-hmm. One of the good questions to ask is whether Queen Charlotte ever visited the colonies. I was not able to find any evidence of that. And I wonder whether she ever got a chance to go to Canada. But, see, we have to keep in mind that Queen Charlotte had 15 children. She had 15 children, and 13 of them made it to adulthood. Two of her children died in infancy. But this woman probably couldn't leave England. How are you going to leave England and you got 13 kids, you know? You don't very uh, move around very much with that many children. So, no, there's no record of her coming over. uh, And, of course, it would have been dangerous because the American Revolution, of course, was against England. So it would have been hard for her to come over after the American Revolution. But I haven't found any record of her going to Canada or coming to America. It's a very good question to see whether Queen Charlotte, since she was an abolitionist, did she really play a role in trying to stop slavery? And I would say absolutely yes, that she did. But she was not a part of Parliament, so she couldn't go to the, you know, to the British Parliament and have any influence as a leader. All she could do was really work behind the scenes, which she did. And mm-hmm. slavery was outlawed in England in 1808, and she was still queen at the time, And she was very close to people who worked hard, like William Wilberforce. He was a close friend of King George III and Queen Charlotte. And Wilberforce University, one of our historically black colleges, is named after him. Well, she worked very closely with him, and he was working with the Parliament to end slavery in England. 
So she worked with him. She worked with another man named Granville Sharp, and he was a very powerful abolitionist. So she was working behind the scenes to try to stop it. In Virginia, there was a man named Lord Dunmore, and he's actually the person who issued the first Emancipation Proclamation, and he was the governor of Virginia under the throne of King George III, and they tried to encourage the black people to leave, and one way they did it was to issue a proclamation to encourage black slaves to leave the colonies and run away to Canada. So she knew Lord Dunmore very, very well because his daughter was married to one of her sons, Augustus Frederick. And let me mention right here, Leslie, that uh, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry were just given the titles the the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. Well, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex were named after one of the sons of Queen Charlotte and King George named Augustus Frederick. His title was the Duke of Sussex, and he was a big abolitionist. And so Prince Harry and Meghan Markle are now the Duke and Duchess of Sussex after one of Queen Charlotte's sons, who was an abolitionist. One of the interesting questions is Harry's relationship and his legacy as a part of Queen Charlotte's family. Harry is the seventh generation down from Queen Charlotte. Queen Charlotte's son was the father of Queen Victoria, and Queen Victoria was one of the most popular uh, queens of England, and Queen Victoria is the grandmother of Queen Elizabeth, and Queen Elizabeth is the mother of Prince Charles, Prince Charles is the father of Prince Harry. So seven generations from Queen Charlotte and King George III is how Prince Harry gets his legacy. And some people laugh and they say, when you look at Prince Harry, his little red hair is a little frizzy. And if you look at Prince Harry on uh, YouTube and Google Prince Harry dancing, oh, he's got a whole lot of soul. He knows how to boogie. He knows how to dance. <laughs> okay. So you kind of see his uh, DNA pass down from Queen Charlotte. Well, I think it's important for us to look at the wedding and see and ask ourselves, was it a celebration of hope? And what happened at the wedding of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle on May 19th? I believe that I believe that England is really re-examining its role in the world. And I believe that Prince Harry wants to start a new beginning of relationships. England was one of the worst leaders in the slave trade. And England was involved for hundreds of years in just absolutely destroying black people all over Africa and all over the world. But we are hoping that in 2018 with this beautiful wedding that Meghan Markle and Prince Harry had, maybe there's hope for a new beginning. They invited Bishop Curry to be a speaker at the wedding, and he is the Archbishop of the Episcopal Church here in America. He was outstanding. He talked about the need for love to happen all over the world, and I thought it was very powerful. And then they had a young man playing the cello, 
he was just outstanding, an outstanding classical musician. And Queen Charlotte loved classical music. She discovered Mozart, the composer, when he was eight years old and made him and mentored him and helped sponsor him. So that was another example. But this time they chose a young black British boy, a young man, to play the cello. And then they had the gospel choir singing beautiful gospel music. So I really feel that that wedding, Meghan Markle, was powerful in that she's confident in her identity. She knows that she's half black and half white, and she's proud of that. And she is willing to stand up there with Bishop Curry and the soul choir and the cellist and say, look, you have to accept me for who I am. And that's wonderful. And I think she made that statement at her wedding. And Oprah Winfrey was there and Serena Williams was there with her husband. And and we had actors and different uh, people there. And it was just a, a, a wonderful experience, I think, for people to feel inspiration that there can be a better future than there has been in the past. And that's what we have to work towards. And so Queen Charlotte being educated, uh, discovering Mozart, being an abolitionist, having 15 children, going to school. She was also a scientist. Queen Charlotte was very involved in helping to support the smallpox vaccine, and that was very radical in the 1700s. People were afraid of vaccination. Some people are afraid today, but she vaccinated all of her children. She was a botanist. She grew gardens, and her Kew Gardens is right there today. So she had many, many skills. So Meghan Markle, or let's say the Duchess of Sussex, Meghan, Duchess Meghan, now has big shoes that she can step in, (laughs) the shoes of Queen Charlotte. And Queen Charlotte is buried, along with King George III, right there at St. George's Chapel. That's right where she is. And so their wedding was on the day of her birthday, May 19th. St. George's Chapel was the Queen's favorite place to worship. And let me just say a word about worship. Queen Charlotte was a canonist in the church when she was just 14 years old. She became an official of the Lutheran Church. So she was very faithful and very religious. And in North Carolina and in other parts of the country, We have strong church communities where people go and they believe in prayer. Well, she did too. And that's something that Bishop Curry was appealing to when he said, love, we need love. Well, Queen Charlotte, Queen Sophia Charlotte, her full name, Queen Sophia Charlotte, and people can read about her in our book, The Invisible Queen. And it's available at our website, myerspublishing.com. They can go right on the Internet, www.myerspublishing.com, and they can read about her and learn about all the things we've been talking about today. Yes. Um, one of the important things to talk about when we talk about Megan and Prince Harry is the role of Megan's mother, Doria Raglan. Doria lives in Los Angeles, California, in an area called uh, Windsor Hills, which is a a very nice community where black people live in Los Angeles. She's a social worker. She's a a coach in yoga. And she's a very insightful woman. 
And I think we have to give a lot of credit to Doria because Megan went to an outstanding girls' school in Los Angeles. In fact, when she got married, the school had a sleepover so the girls could see the wedding starting at 5 in the morning and they could celebrate Megan's marriage to Prince Harry. Doria Raglan is a visionary. She was at the wedding, and we were sad a little bit to see her by herself, but Doria wanted to be sure that nothing happened. You know, the media can be very mean, and the media will go and research people and create all kinds of crisis. So Doria wanted to be sure that her daughter's wedding went along perfectly and without any hitches. And we know that um, Megan's dad and her stepbrother and stepsister, they created all kinds of publicity before the wedding, and they were a big mess. So Doria decided she was going to come and be elegant. She had tea with the queen. The queen took care of her dog. Doria is an elegant, classy, smart woman, and she has raised an elegant, classy, smart daughter. And we should be proud of them as Americans because they've made our country look great, whether you're black, white, Latino, Arab, I don't care what background you come from, whether you're Christian, Muslim, or Jew, no matter who you are, we all have to take pride in the fact that this young American girl could go over to England and represent us in such a beautiful way with her mom by her side, and we are all proud. And Queen Charlotte is proud also because Megan, as I said earlier, stands in her shoes. So we want all of our young people, get serious, go to school, but don't just sit up there in the classroom, study, get smart. There are wonderful opportunities. Look in North Carolina. You've got one of the financial capitals of the world right in Charlotte, North Carolina. So young people there in that city have to be smart and study and learn and learn about all these new emerging financial industries coming out. And they too can operate on a global level. Well, the best thing is to go on MyersPublishing.com and on the web page you'll see a link to the media interviews and we'll post this interview up there too. And we have um, people can learn more by listening to the interviews. They can order the book online and that really is the best way to do it. It's not on Amazon. It's exclusively mm-hmm. available through our website. We're a small minority-owned business, and uh, my husband is the publisher, Roy Myers, and so we are making it available to people all over the world. And it's been wonderful to have people interested from different places in our story. So that's the best way to do it. And I'm available to, uh, to have, if people have book clubs, if they wish to order a minimum of 10 books, then we can have a conference call discussion. And that's been a lot of fun where the people get the books in advance and then they have a book club meeting and then we can call in on a conference call line and have a conversation. So that's a way that we can connect also. Okay. Well, again, I want to thank you for coming on um, The Gist of Freedom. Um, The name of the book is the Invisible Queen by Dr. Stephanie Myers. Please go out and celebrate our black history every day um, by purchasing this book and sharing it. And um, we at the Disagreement are delighted to have you, Dr. Myers. And I want to give a shout-out to the Charlotte Museum of History. 
to Adria Foch, the director at the Charlotte Museum of History. They hosted a book lecture a few weeks ago, and it was outstanding. And also Parkland Books has the book available in Charlotte as well. So we're really proud that your city is celebrating its 250th anniversary, the city of Charlotte, by having um, having the story come out and the, the local museum was the leader of that, the Charlotte Museum of History. Wonderful. All right. Well, thank you for staying on a little longer than I expected you to. Um, okay. You've been so gracious, and we will be in touch very soon. Okay. Thank you. I look forward to hearing the interview and seeing it and all. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Panera now delivers. So you can order good, clean food right to your office or door or porch or backyard or front yard or apartment or dorm or castle or shop or worksite or wherever Panera delivers for lunch, dinner, and everywhere in between. Click the banner to order or visit PaneraBread.com. Participating locations only. Panera. Food as it should be. Panera now delivers. So you can order good, clean food right to your office or door or porch or backyard or front yard or apartment or dorm or castle or shop or worksite or wherever Panera delivers for lunch, dinner, and everywhere in between. Click the banner to order or visit PaneraBread.com. Participating locations only. Panera. Food as it should be.